Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Cara, acne can be tough. Whether your kid is just starting to get breakouts or has been struggling with them for years, there's a great product that can help. Phyla is the ultimate game changer. It tackles acne right at its root cause, rebalancing the skin's bacteria and packing it with probiotic phages. Phyla harnesses the superpowers of probiotics, tiny warriors targeting and wiping out the acne-causing bacteria. In studies, Phyla slashed acne-causing bacteria by a whopping 90%. Phyla doesn't just fix acne you can see. It stops new breakouts in their tracks. It has no harsh chemicals and won't irritate or dry most skin. Phyla's three-step system is like a dermatologist-approved magic potion. Cleanse, apply serum, and moisturize twice a day. As a special treat for our listeners, you can grab 25% off your first order of Phyla. Head over to phylabiotics.com, enter code PUBERTY at checkout, and kickstart your family's journey to acne-free skin. Check out the link in our show notes for quick access. Hi, I'm Cara Natterson. And I'm Vanessa Cole Bennett. Each week, we dive into the what and how of raising kids through puberty, that roller coaster of physical and emotional shifts for kids and parents alike. Combining reliable science and relatable parenting strategies, we will all learn about, laugh about, and yes, maybe even cry about adolescence, ours and theirs. We are so happy to welcome back to the podcast in very short order because the demand was so high for Tori Cordiano, who is a clinical psychologist and director of research for the Laurel Center for Research on Girls, who has a specialization in executive functioning. And when we released the episode with Tori on executive functioning, people were like, hallelujah. Oh my God, I'm so excited. And you all listened because the numbers for that episode were crazy. And Tori has graciously agreed to come back and talk to us today about study skills because they are so tied into executive functioning and so tied into kids' development. And they're probably one of the most frustrating aspects of caring for kids in the grade school, middle school, and high school years. So Tori, thank you for coming back and being with us. Thank you so much for welcoming me back. It's such a great topic and I'm excited to dive in. I'm going to start by reading one of the love letters we got. Just one. It's short. It says, hi, by the way, I know this author. This person runs a school. Okay. Hi, I often listen to your podcasts and truly love and appreciate them, but wanted you to know that your conversation with Dr. Tori Cordiano has really touched me. I wish every parent would listen to it. You rock. Now, oh. I think you rock is the gist of that, Tori. And it's um, for Tori, oh. not for us. It's so kind. There were so many like that because what you've done in conversation with us in the past is to make what feels like a puberty adjacent topic, but that we don't talk about when we talk about health and wellness of kids who are growing up. You wove it in. So let's weave in study skills and let's do it similarly to how we had our conversation around executive function in general. So maybe what we can do is start our conversation at the young end and move our conversation through time and development into older ages mm -hmm. and talk about the study skills that kids should have 
and sort of how do the adults in their lives weigh and measure whether they've got the tools that they need to have in place. And then, of course, we will move into a conversation about if they don't have them in place, what are the resources available and what are the tools that people can use to help those kids? Yeah, so can great. we start? Can we start with like a a grammar school kid, maybe a yep. fourth or fifth grader who, you know, you give us the scenario. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that you are taking this back to even kind of pre-puberty ages because often we don't really consider this if our kids are in a school where there's not a lot of homework and they're kind of getting along just fine and they're not having to study a lot. We don't really consider this until middle school. And then it feels like stuff hits the fan, right? And all of a sudden they're in a bad spot. So I love that we're starting from a much earlier age. I think about this in terms of the seeds that we want to plant with regard to study skills. And a lot of these are good executive functioning habits around school in one lane. And then in the other lane, and it sounds like they're very separate, but they're not, are the sort of adjacent skills that support good study skills. So these are going to be the things like good sleep habits and good technology habits and how we manage our routines of the day that on the surface don't look like study skills, but are very much related to what happens when they do have to start studying. But if we start with the study skills, so if we think of like a 10-year-old, so fourth, fifth grade, hopefully they're at a school where they're not yet being crushed by the weight of homework and studying, um, but they may have things that they have to do outside of school. And even if they don't have homework, they should be doing things like reading and, you know, they're doing, they are doing some component of academic work outside of school. So we want to start to think with them about where that work happens, mm -hmm. when that work happens, who's responsible for that work who's even responsible for knowing what the work is, like all of these kind of elementary pieces that if we can start to have these conversations when they're much younger, we've already gone pretty far in handing over these reins once they are in seventh or eighth grade. You just gave three perfect sub-questions. Where, when, and who? Can you break those down a little bit more for mm -hmm. us? Like, what, mm -hmm. first of all, can we do the where? Yeah. Because yeah. one of us, maybe two of us, might have kids who love doing homework on their bed. So can, mm -hmm. we, can we start with the where? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So this is a place where the research does give us some information that if we can keep kids out of their bed while they are working, it is a helpful way to keep sleep and studying separate from each other, right? I mean, really, we want the only thing to be happening in their bed at this age is sleep. That's it, right? So if we can keep that sleep association as clean and clear as possible, we're not only supporting good study habits, we're supporting good sleep habits. So we have a lot more control over this when, when kids are much younger than when they're older. And as you said last time, Tori, sleep is like the magic elixir. So if things are going sideways, mm -hmm. look at sleep. So anything we can do to protect sleep is absolutely critical. One of us might have had children who were Zooming into school during the pandemic. From mm -hmm. bed. Yep. Okay. Not even but, on bed. I think they were like in bed. Under the covers. Okay. Also, I'm just going to throw in the pediatrician caveat that a hot laptop on a lap, testicle adjacent, does not thrill me. And mm -hmm. I mentioned that maybe on a daily basis. Yeah, don't think I didn't I didn't use the testicle. Yeah, don't cook the, the family jewels. Sperm. That's what I say every day <laughs> yeah. in my house. There's future okay. sperm. Okay, so yeah. off the bed. Yeah. We can assume for younger kids that having them a little bit closer to where you are is going to be helpful when they're when they're just learning good homework habits. So this might be at the dining room table in our family. It's almost never used for dining and it's like the homework space. Um, you know, it could be the kitchen table if there's not too many distractions. Some kids can manage homework in their room with, you know, at this age, you're doing more checking in and sort of seeing how it's going, making sure they're not off task, making sure they're not doing a lot of other things. They don't have to be seated at a desk, right? I think there's this myth that like, okay, we have to sit at the desk and have it laid out in front of us. A lot of kids need to move. They can lay on the floor. They can sit in a beanbag chair and read. Like they can move around. This doesn't have to be so sedentary, but it does need to be a space that their brain starts to associate with studying or getting the work done. And Tori, do you recommend them sitting at the same place every day when they do their homework? I think it's 
helpful for a couple of reasons. The first is we're just kind of setting those good habits. It's like that, you know, the wheelbarrow creating a rut in the road in a good yeah. way. Like we want them just to, okay, this is where I go. It also takes a lot of the decision-making out of it, right? If I don't even have to think about that, I can just kind of go to the dining room table and set up shop. Um, if it's a place they're returning to, it's usually a place that works pretty well for them. So if they really want to try a different space, that's okay. But sometimes just for ease of getting through it, it helps to just have a homework space. Is there any truth to what I was always told growing up, which is background noise in the form of music or television is bad and distracting. Mm -hmm. There are kids who swear that the white noise in the background actually helps them focus. <laughs> What's your take? Yeah. Yeah. So the, the research would tell us that keeping things as quiet as you can when you are studying, especially, I think there's a difference between listening to like classical music and having a screen where you're watching something. In, in classical front of music, not happening. Yeah, Not happening. Yeah. Right. Yes. <laughs> we actually, um, at, at Laurel School where I work, we had a, a fantastic science teacher who had our sixth graders run this as an experiment for themselves and actually see how much work they were getting done in these three different conditions of quiet and background music and then a screen. We want to start with quiet. If kids, once they are much older, are realizing I need to have a little bit of background noise, I need to have some music, I need to have like a quiet study buddy that I'm connecting with. And, you know, some kids will do funny things like FaceTiming with a friend, but we're both on mute, right? We're just right. like not yeah. talking. I just need to see somebody else working. It's sort of the reason why some of us can work better at a coffee shop or a library because there's other people around us who are also doing the work. And the phone is pointed at the ceiling. Yeah, you know, they they literally they call one mm -hmm. another. They put the phone right. on a desk or table, and both screens just show the ceiling. Yep, but there's someone there. It's so interesting. Mm -hmm. Okay, now the the who we're still at a ten year old mm -hmm. who should know what they have to do. How much mm -hmm. checking in should there be or shouldn't there be? And where if things are not starting to progress, what's the job of the adult in that house in terms of getting things moving? Mm -hmm. So this is highly individualistic, right? We have some 10-year-olds who are all over this, who do not need or want your reminders. They will get the work done. And some who will never turn in an assignment if there's not someone saying, let's check Google Classroom. So I think as a parent, it's good to know where the um, information lives. And, and more and more, it's something like Google Classroom or Canvas or something like that, where they can log in on their Chromebook. You can even see it on your computer to see what they have. But we also want to give kids space to figure out how they are going to manage this. So collaborative conversations around, okay, so you're in fourth grade this year. Last year, you used the paper planner. I know they gave you one of those. What's your plan for how you want to keep track of the work this year? Do you want to pick out a planner? You're going to use Google Classroom. What is this going to look like? Tori, can we dive into that? Because someone on this Zoom might have a 12-year-old with whom she's locked in constant battle over the use of planner, not use of planner, the relationship between a paper planner and assignments being posted online and being turned in online and some things are printed handouts and some are electronically completed. I mean, I have to tell you, it's really crappy for kids. Like I get why it's hard for them. There are so many different ways they have to maintain information and submit information. What is your feeling about this transitioning from the paper planner to the electronic? I mean, I almost feel like the paper planner, it's like a red herring these days because mm -hmm. they don't yeah. then continue to use it. Right. Yeah. And that's true. I think they can get really good at using that system. And then somewhere around fifth, sixth grade, it just doesn't even make sense for them to, to use that system because everything is online. The tricky piece around these online platforms is the paper planner is really like your kid writes it down. It's there. They they are the, the variable there that manages it. Yeah. With online platforms, you're dependent on sometimes three or four teachers updating it, putting things where they're supposed to. So there is a lot there that that can go wrong. And I think for younger grades, having that backup of the paper planner can be helpful because they're not yet adept at figuring out, oh, she hasn't posted this yet, but she did say we have to turn it in. Right. Um, so I think there's kind of two pieces to it as parents. The first is empathy, right? That we can actually say to our kids like, gosh, I see how hard this is. You know, when we were in school, we just had to write it down in one spot yeah. and then I turned it in. And that in a lot of ways felt a lot simpler than, than what you're dealing with. That goes a long way, especially if you're locked into a battle with a kid about how you're going to manage this, because they're saying you don't understand. And they're right. We yeah. don't understand what this is like. This is not how we did school. Yep. And then the second piece of it is if there are many steps, and let's say the, the worst that I see for kids is they do the work, they spend the time, do whatever they need to do. But then there's that turn in button yes. that they forget to 
us yeah. and they don't get credit for the work. So helping them think through like, oh, buddy, that that really stinks. I saw how much work you put into that. What's going to keep that from happening again? And some kids will use a little like post-it that they tape to their computer, right? Of like, or just reminding them of that step or uh, here's what I do, here's what I do. And then I have to press turn in. Other kids, they want a reminder of like, just, you know, I know I saw you working. Did you remember to press the submit button? So you actually get credit for it. And there's a side note to be added to that comment, which is for the adults who are listening, thinking, oh, now I have to add to my list of things to do, reminding them to press submit. I actually think, especially at ages 10 and 11, this is very low stakes. So it's okay if they forget, even repeatedly, Mm -hmm. because the consequences will be felt and Mm -hmm. then eventually they will figure out that they have to push it. This is not a helicopter or snowplow parent move where the advice is you do it for your kid. It's very different than when you turned in homework. I will say one thing that worked really well in my house in exactly this window of transitioning from written planners to online planners, which was Vanessa, so messy, right? Because there are teachers who continue to write on the board what your assignments are and expect you to copy it down. And there are teachers who don't only post online, but they post online late. Yes. They're busy. Yeah. They're doing things after school. And so you might have a kid who gets home and is an early homework doer and the teacher is not going to post the assignment for an hour. Mm -hmm. And it's really a mess. But one Mm -hmm. thing that worked really well in my house is I did get at the beginning of the school year, those huge desk size calendars Mm. that double as sort of something, a surface you can write on. And I asked my kids to do an experiment for an entire school year where they used those only to write down the long-term projects. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't for Mm. the day-to-day stuff, but it was for the, you know, this big project is due whatever date. You know, for one of my kids, it worked really well. And for one of my kids, it didn't work at all. Mm -hmm. But I do think it helped bridge the gap for one of my Mm -hmm. kids in terms of being able to at least future cast. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, Friday, I do have that. I forgot about that thing. Because the other thing about the way online assignments look is they all look short-term. It's very hard to look into the future, especially as a fourth or fifth grader, when you're not using that online calendar to the maximum you know, ability, right? That calendar. So it gets very tricky, but that like one tip for what it's worth. Yes. Yeah. And it's a great tip. And I want to go back to what you said about it being low stakes, because this is the perfect time for your your fifth grader to figure out how I do this, what works and what doesn't work before it starts to feel a little heavier once they're in middle school. Do you or someone you love have smelly feet? Well, this is for you. We made magical socks. We did. The magic is zinc. With zinc around, bacteria cannot grow. And if bacteria cannot grow, well, then there are no bacteria to eat the sweat. And if there's no bacteria to eat the sweat, then there's no off-gassing. And if there's no off-gassing, then there's no smell. That's how Oom Socks work. Check out the link in our show notes or go to myoomla.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Vanessa, we literally have three minutes to eat lunch every day. I am not joking. And the challenge is how to make it delicious and healthy and still fit into that tiny window. Our answer is factors ready to eat meals. They have been a godsend. We throw our factor meals in the microwave. It takes two minutes and Out comes a gorgeous, fresh, never frozen meal. We both love the tamale vegetarian one. It's delish. There's a ton of options every week. There's 60 add-ons, breakfast, snacks, beverages. I love doing the wellness shots with my kids. They think it's hilarious. And I know they're getting vitamins and minerals in their bodies. So get meals on your table or at your desk in two minutes or less. 
Factor meals eliminate the hassle of prepping, cooking, and cleaning. You can customize with flexibility to get as much or as little as you need, and you can press, pause, or reschedule depending upon your lifestyle. So to order, go to factormeals.com slash puberty50 and use the code puberty50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That code is puberty50 at factormeals.com slash puberty50 to get 50% off your first box, 20% off your next box. And I am going to go do that right now because I need more factor meals in my refrigerator. Cara, lately I have been lying awake at night. I'm physically exhausted, but I can't sleep because my mind is so wired with everything going on between work and my family. So I've added magnesium breakthrough to my nightly routine and it actually helps calm my mind. It helps me get better sleep and I wake up feeling better rested. I'm less cranky and I'm more patient with my family and with you. Oh, I've noticed. And it's because unlike other magnesium supplements that might give one or two formulations of magnesium, magnesium breakthrough has seven. That's why you're sleeping so well and waking up refreshed. Now, dietary supplementation is always best, Vanessa. So that means eating your minerals and vitamins is the best way to get them in. But if you can't or you don't get enough, magnesium breakthrough is the way to go. It can also help digestion, though too much helps your digestion too much, which is not a good thing. It can support muscle recovery. So bye-bye, Charlie Horses. And it helps build dense bones, which is especially important for women approaching and in menopause. We have an exclusive offer for our listeners. You can go to buyoptimizers.com slash puberty, B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S.com slash puberty. And you can use the code PUBERTY10 during checkout to save 10%. That promo code is PUBERTY10 at buyoptimizers.com slash puberty. Your body and brain and family and business partner will thank you. Yeah. So Tori, let's move up to middle school. They're moving from class to class. They might have lockers where they store different Mm -hmm. binders that they have to take or leave. If your kid is in a school like my kid where they're on an eight-day cycle, they don't have every class meeting every day. So often it's assignments are two days ahead of time. You know, it's not just the usual, I have to do it tonight for tomorrow. They have different teachers with different expectations and different systems for doing things. So what do you hope or expect to see in a sixth grader who's hopefully built some of those initial baseline skills? What's realistic and where do you see caregivers kind of putting their kids under unfair expectations with respect to study skills. Yeah. Yeah. I would say we expect to see things fall through the cracks. And this is, this is <laughs> in a way like this is what sixth grade is for, right? There's a reason like this is the, the we need. I thought that's what my twenties were for. It's also <laughs> sixth grade. In a different way. Absolutely. Right. But yes, for the schoolwork, for the forgetting the projects. And I think one place where we can be a little too hard on sixth graders is let's say they were assigned something on a Monday. It's due the following. Wednesday, right? So this is one of those long-term things that, Car, you're exactly right. It can get lost in the shuffle of the way that that looks on a screen in something like Google Classroom. So now it's Tuesday and it's due the next day and they're in a panic. And as a parent, we can go to that place of, why did you put this off? You spent mm-hmm. all that time playing video games this weekend. I asked you if you had homework. This is on you, right? And it's understandable that we have this reaction because now this is something that we are all in together. In right. It's all of our problems. <laughs> right? It's all, it's now become all of our problems. But if we back up and we think about how this happens, there's two factors that are working here to make this more likely. The first is just the logistical piece of keeping track of it. They Mm -hmm. may have had great intentions on Monday when that was assigned the week before of, I'm going to do a little bit during the week and then I've got some time this weekend. But the way that their brains are, are working is unless we are deliberately kind of working with them for a lot of sixth graders, some of them can do this. But if we're not saying to them, okay, your Tuesday and Wednesday are pretty busy, Thursday's open, and then Saturday we're gone all day, but Sunday you've got some time. So like, let's think about when you want to do these pieces of the project. Is there anything that you're going to need me to get? Because I need to know that before I go to the store on Friday, like just sort of talking through this with them. Some kids need a little bit more hands-on than others. So that's the executive functioning piece. 
Here's the other piece that we don't talk about as much, but is equally important. When we get an assignment like that, if it's in a class that's difficult or we know that this is going to be hard and we do this as an adult, we take a look at it, we have a thought, and then we put it away and we don't think about it. And we get anxious, right? So the way that we manage that anxiety is I'm just going to not think about this right now, which is okay on Monday when it's assigned and we don't have to start it right then. But then we start to think about it on Thursday and I'm like, oof, now I'm really getting a little anxious because I didn't even start it yet. So I'm just not going to think about it till this weekend. And so the anxiety is ramping up. And the way that a lot of kids manage this is by just kicking that ball down the road until all of a sudden now it's Tuesday night. Yeah, we did a wonderful episode with Brian Platzer, who wrote a book called Taking the Stress Out of Homework. And he's a middle school teacher and has a, a tutoring company in New York. And he advises if there's an assignment that's making you anxious, you should start with that assignment because the more you put it off, the more anxious you're going to get and the larger it will loom in your reality, mm-hmm. which I thought was interesting advice. And then I use that with my kids and they're oh. like, whatever, like <laughs> you're so annoying. Um, <laughs> but Tori, I want to go back to that like long litany of things that needed to be thought of and dealt with and planned for for the Wednesday due date mm-hmm. backing out to the Monday. So it was things that, you know, a parent needed to help with. It was planning. It was doing a little bit of work. It was like a series of things. What strategies do you like to advise adults help kids cultivate in order to be able to do that? Because the first time around, very few kids are going to be able to actually like execute mm-hmm. on that. Mm-hmm. list of things. And which adults, right? Where does it sit with the mm-hmm. teacher? And yeah. where does it sit with the adult at home? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So I think, yes, we can expect in, in earlier middle school, we're having a lot more conversations about this. And sometimes they're in response to, well, the last project didn't go so well, and we don't want, none of us want to be there again, right? So now we're going to try something different. I think where we want kids to get to is knowing what questions they need to ask themselves. So they don't even have a sense necessarily of, oh, I have to think through when I'm going to do this work, or I have to think through if we actually have any of that poster board, or I need to ask you know, my dad to get it, You know those kinds of things. We want to start to have those conversations. So not that we're like putting it all in front of them, but that eventually they're starting to think about, okay, what are the things that I need? So you might phrase it in broad terms about, okay, what do you need for this project that we don't already have at home? And then they, you know, they may say like, I don't know. And they're going to say, okay, well, why don't you open it up and, and let me know. I'll met my child. <laughs> and then if they don't, then you might together say like, okay, so I'm planning on going to the store tomorrow. Let's open this up and see, you can tell me what you need. This is all so much more work than a parent just looking at it, like pulling the paper out and saying like, oh, I see you need poster board. I'm going to add it to the grocery list. That's a thousand times easier. And sometimes it's okay as parents if we do that. But there's other times where we actually want to walk with our kids through this. So they're getting to the place where they're remembering to tell you, I need poster board for this project. That's right. It's like when they were learning to tie their shoes. And at a certain point, you're just like, oh, oh my God, I'm just going to do it for you because I cannot stand to watch you try this like 4,000 times. And then it takes them a year to learn to tie their shoes because you are so impatient. Whereas if I had just been a little more patient in the couple of weeks at the beginning, it would have taken a month for them to do it properly. But because I kept stepping in and helping because I couldn't okay. stand it. But, but another piece- <laughs> Are you going to make of... me feel better for being a deeply impatient <laughs> parent of a no, What I'm going to say is another piece of what I'm hearing Tori say is, okay, there are three of us on this podcast right now and three of us are planners, right? Yeah. And- mm-hmm. We are raising a generation of immediate gratification children who get everything at the press of a button. I mean, you know, you can order something on Amazon and it can be delivered that evening. Yeah. So everything you're saying, Tori, comes up in one way or another in my home all the time. When I'm listening to you, I'm like, that's me. I'm the one who's saying, okay, I'm planning to go here in two days. What do you need? Oh, I'm thinking about our weekend, which is five whole days away. Right. And everyone's like, why are you talking to me about the weekend? It's like, right. Monday. Yeah. Right. And so there is this tension that sits right at the heart of study skills between the planner generation and the immediate gratification generation. And I find that that is not just a skill, but it's also a temperament. It's a personality trait and Mm -hmm. makes it hard to Mm -hmm. 
convince them to look forward when everything that they do, I mean, down to my teenagers, it drives me bananas. It's Friday at five. What are you doing tonight? I don't know. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, they always have a plan at six. That's how they roll. So how does that fit in? Because mm-hmm. study skills require planning, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, they do. Yeah. And okay. So I think this is that piece around knowing yourself as a parent and what your triggers are and what you're bringing to this conversation. And this comes up everywhere, right? This comes up with pretty much every aspect of parenting, but here we're talking about it with study skills and how they do their work. And so I think for, you know, for me, who was someone who procrastination would have freaked me out and that that was not the way that I would roll. So it's physically painful for me to see my kids, you know, kicking yeah. something down the road that they could just totally. So then you do that work as a parent of recognizing like, okay, this is bringing up some stuff for me. How am I going to respond to this? Because I really do want my kids to get there and figure out what works for them. Recognizing it does not have to be what worked for me. They can find their own way. And I might have to do my own work on this before I come into the conversation. And owning, you know, I get it. I say to my kids, like, I know I plan a million years ahead and that's what works for me. And that's the house you were raised in. You don't have to do it my way, but you do have to do some advanced planning or groundwork. All right. So let me ask you a related question, Tori. (laughs) Every time my kids like fail to plan ahead or like neglect to mention things to us, my husband will say to them, like, do you know how much work that puts on me Mm -hmm. and your mother? Do you know how much work we have to do? We don't have time to pause in our day or drive out and do that. And like, I totally get where he's coming from because it is, it's like, we don't have time. We barely have time to like eat lunch, Mm -hmm. but I'm not sure that's a motivating statement to a kid. Like, I'm not sure that's what's going to convince a kid to be like, oh yes, now I must plan ahead because mom's really busy or dad's really busy. Like, what Mm -hmm. do you think does motivate them to kind of get into shape? Yeah. 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 And it is so understandable why we would say that. Right. And it's not a bad thing for us, for kids to see those consequences like, okay, well, now I guess I'm going to the store instead of kind of relaxing after dinner because we need that you need the poster board, right? Whatever that is. suck and didn't plan. (laughs) And maybe you're going to cut, you know, you're going to get on your shoes and come with me uh, because this is now a joint errand. (laughs) But I think what we are aiming for is for kids to feel that internal sense of either satisfaction when they've done it or the sense from them that like, oh, I need to be doing this, right? So some reflection on, you know, if we had that project that didn't go well or that test that did not get studied for and then they got a poor grade, that the next time one of these rolls around that we're thinking about like, oh, okay, so you've got one of these tests. I know that didn't feel good for you last time, the way all of that went down. I know I was frustrated. I could tell you were, you know, not feeling your best about it. I know you weren't happy with the outcome. You're you're putting it back in terms of what will be motivating to them. Kids want to do well. They are not wanting to make things hard for themselves or hard for their parents. They want to do well. They don't have the skills always to get there, but we want to help them think about with some reflection, how they can use what they took from last time and maybe do it a little bit differently this time. All right. I want to flash forward to early high school, to ninth grade, with this exact same conversation. But the way I want to frame it is actually by talking about college for a second. And Mm -hmm. then we're going to use that to go back to ninth grade. So I was at a dinner once where it was a very small dinner. And one of the parents actually excused themselves to take a call from their college kid. Great. Totally get it. I would do the same. But when that parent came back to the table, said to everyone sitting right there, I had to help him with his paper. He just emailed it to me and I was editing it on my phone for him. And I remember making a very poignant mental note, like in Sharpie, a mental note that then my husband and I went home and, you know, we've recirculated this conversation many, many, many times. I don't want the kid in college who feels that they have to send us a paper and can't do it without us, right? Mm -hmm. So that became for us a goal, a motivator. And when our kids entered high school, we used that story Mm -hmm. as a motivator for us to then take the training wheels off and say to our kids, you do it. 
We Mm -hmm. probably took the training wheels off a little too quickly. We were so worried about that outcome that we, starting when they were in eighth or ninth grade, said, we don't want to see anything. We don't need to look at anything. And I think there is a middle ground. So where is that middle ground as they're starting high school? Many of them are switching schools or their class is growing bigger and there are different kinds of learners and different experiences in any given classroom. There are kids who can do certain things better than our own kids can. There are kids who don't do things as well as our kids and they get teachers' attention. Maybe our kids don't. Like, it's a whole new game. Mm -hmm. How do you start high school and build the skills you need knowing that several years down the road, there's independence? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Such a great question. There's a lot to unpack there. So I think going into high school, and this is where middle school is really beneficial, I think going into high school with a clear picture of who your kid is as a learner and as a planner, right? With, okay, they get the math pretty quickly, but they are not going to remember to study for the math test three days before, right? So just having a pretty clear picture with your kid about, or, or having a pretty clear picture of your kid in those domains. And then as you're starting that school year, thinking with them again around like where this work happens, what this looks like, I think we want to pay a lot of attention to what becomes habitual. So as parents, we are always going to find ourselves in some point in time in that one-off situation of, ah, you forgot the whatever, and I am here partnering with you, and now it's 1030 at night, and this is really rough, and we're going to get through it, right? That's okay. That happens. What we want to look for is what is happening continually over time. So if you are into mid-October of the school year, and you're realizing every time my kid has a quiz or a test or a paper, it's me and my kid together, you know, the night before sitting in this icky place, that's really good feedback. And we still have a lot of time over that ninth grade year to start to pull back and shift what that looks like. Yeah. I mean, I have the opposite, which is my kids' cards just were like, kicked us out. I mean, not that we were like writing their papers for them or whatever, but they basically were like, if they were done. Mm-hmm. I'm done. I'm not. They took their own training I'm, wheels off. They took their own yeah. training wheels off. The bike was a little shaky. Mm-hmm. Mostly because they didn't want our feedback. Because if we looked at their papers, we were going to give them feedback. Yeah. And then they were supposed to incorporate the feedback. And they were like, F that. I don't want to hear from you. So yeah. I'm never showing it to you again. <laughs> but what if you have kids who are like, yeah, I mean, you're not, it's not crisis moment at 11 o'clock or at I night. love studying with you. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. This is a bonding exercise. I'm in ninth grade. Mm-hmm. I'm going to quiz me every night. And it's like our time together. Like, is that pathological? Does that, it's not pathological, but no. does that lead to a place that's not constructive, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or not, yeah. or is it great? I think we want to consider what it's doing for them, what they're getting out of it, right? Mm-hmm. If it's like, it's a nice connection for us to sit and, you know, you quiz me on these, whatever the science vocabulary, and they've already done a lot of the work of studying, that's very different than, okay, time to study for the science test. And we are going to do every step of this together. So I think if you have a kid who's having a harder time separating from you in mm. that way, you as a parent are having a harder time giving them space in yeah. that way then we want to break it down into chunks. So what does studying look like? And maybe 80% of it you are doing, and then I'm really glad to join you for that last 20%. Yeah, I mean, I found if my kids came to me to be quizzed, like to prep for a Spanish test, and they like really didn't know the vocabulary words, then I just send them back Mm -hmm. and say, yeah, you need another half an hour. But one of the things that I do check is like, how are you studying for this? Like, tell Mm -hmm. me what you're doing to prepare because (laughs) frankly, you don't know the vocabulary words. I mean, I don't say that, but giving them, I mean, the funniest thing, and Tori, you do this professionally, so I can only imagine the stories you have, but like you teach them a technique in like seventh grade, right? And they're like, yeah, 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 I'm not doing it. And then in eighth grade, you're like, you know, if you just fold the paper in thirds and you rewrite it, I think it's really going to help you. And they're like, yeah. And it's freshman year and sophomore and they get to junior year. And all of a sudden they're like, mom, that's such a good strategy. Mm-hmm. Why did I never use that before? Mm-hmm. You're like, mm-hmm. Oh my God. Can I please have those hours back of my life? So that gets me to the question, which is like, how do we know when we are asking kids to do something that is just developmentally, they are not there yet. Right. And kids mm-hmm. are on a wide spectrum of abilities and development, even in the same grade, even if they are like chronologically the same age, 
what is the sign to us that we are asking them to do something or we're asking them in a way to do something that is just like not going to get through and we need to shift strategies? Well, I think a lot of times if we're talking about study strategies, kids will get attached to however they are studying and they might not be good study strategies, but Mm. they feel like maybe this is what other kids in my class are doing, or this is what I thought would do, I would do, or I've got these nice color-coded gel pens and it works really well for me to like <laughs> recopy all my notes. And as a parent, we might be looking at this and saying that this is a giant waste of your time. This is a good way to right. study. So you want to kind of throw at them these other strategies that are stronger, more supported by the research. But we also have to consider that we're asking them to pivot what they have already decided to do. It's a big deal to decide to mm. study in the first place. And then to be told, no, no, you're doing it wrong, or no, you need to do it this way instead. Now we're in a whole different situation. Okay. Is there science behind- Are you about to ask about Quizlets? No. Oh, oh, oh. oh. (laughs) Don't even get me down the road of Quizlet, which to the uneducated listener is an online sort of index card quiz (laughs) game where the questions and answers are written, wait for it, by students. And so the answers are often very, very wrong. And then everyone relies on them. Okay. Or the student who creates it learns the information, but the student who passively flips through someone else's Quizlet thinks they're studying, but actually is not absorbing any information. Both true. Yes. things can be true. And they are. (laughs) Um, No, we're not going to talk about Quizlet. Also, Quizlet is not going to sponsor our podcast. (laughs) (laughs) But my question for you is, is there data? that when you actually write down the information, Mm -hmm. it is hardwired better. I was always taught that there is actually a neurologic connection between the dominant hand and certain parts of the brain. And Mm -hmm. that is why rewriting information helps retain the information and raising kids who are on screens and typing, it feels anathema. What's the data? Yeah. Yeah. There is some research and I think we'll understand much more of this in in the coming years that for certain types of information, writing things down versus typing things, um, it's getting in a little bit more. But where we do have actually a lot of research is on what effective study strategies look like. John Dunlosky out of Kent State University here in Ohio has done a ton of work on this and actually outlines of what is very clear in terms of how we can spend our time and what's most efficient. So things like recopying the notes or you know going back through the chapter and rewriting things again, it feels very productive and it can be a good first step. But in terms of turning that kind of passive studying into active studying, we only really view that as a first step. Mm. So there are other things like practice testing that is much, much, much more effective than recopying notes. It's also harder to do. It's it's a whole lot easier to just go back and recopy your notes or to go back and reread the chapter and pull some things out, but it doesn't get us as much bang for our buck as these more active study strategies. Totally. And how many kids do we know? And I was one of these kids who do have all those gel color pens Mm -hmm. and you, it's so satisfying. You take your notes, which were already pretty neat if you're this kind of kid, and then you recopy them and you box everything and everything's the right color. And right, there's like this, Thing that happens where you assume you are moving the needle for yourself. Of course, you're not really because you, as you said, it's very passive or it's just mirroring what you've already done and it's not stretching you to think about applying the material. And for the planners, it can work because it's a first step. But for the non-planners, when it's the night before, it feels like you got to bypass the first step. Right. Absolutely. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Tori, we've got kids, they've got a couple of years left in high school. And I find actually, because I have three boys and one girl, that my boys took longer to kind of develop their study skills and kind of understand. And I don't know if there's research, you know, about gender differences and we try very hard not to gender it, but it's pretty stark in my house and my subset of four. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, I I got this. And all of a sudden they're like, oh, I'm really motivated to do mm. well. I mean, I'm sure, you know, college admissions impacts that. What do we want to make sure that they have like grasped? I mean, that the, there's this sort of amorphous, like they need to be good writers, right? That's a hard thing to measure and create parameters for. But 
what are the study skills that you're like, if your kid is kind of somewhere sophomore, junior year, and they're still not grasping certain things, like where do you really need to sit down again and kind mm-hmm. of regroup? Yeah. So I think two things come to mind. And one is the direct study skills and one is the sort of study adjacent. We want them by early high school to really be thinking about what good studying looks like and having those conversations about what kind of active studying versus just passive rewriting. It helps if they're also getting that at school. And I think more schools now are doing more of that because the research is just incredibly clear. And so they're getting it from multiple places. They may be feeling the benefits of it if I'm doing a practice test under similar conditions versus I'm just rereading, probably going to do better when I'm Mm. doing the practice test. So we want them to know on its surface what good studying looks like and that it actually doesn't even have to take as long as what they may be doing, right? I think there's a sense that this is going to take so long. They may be studying cumulatively for less time, but they're just being more efficient in their Mm -hmm. study. So there's that piece of it. The other piece of it is that if we are finding that kids are not motivated, not getting through the studying, relying on these old habits of just kind of quickly recopying things. Part of it may be that they don't have healthy boundaries set up to protect study time. Mm-hmm. And so things like making sure that they have enough sleep, looking at their schedule and making sure that it's not just like a complete circus where we can look at some of these, you know, sophomores and juniors and their schedule, it does not yeah. permit time for this kind of advanced studying and planning that we're talking about. And that is a problem. And then you walk into the bedroom where they're, I mean, let's just call a spade a spade. So they're in the bedroom doing the homework, right? Which we started off this conversation saying, it'd be great to not be in the bedroom, but Mm -hmm. maybe they're in the bed. Maybe they're not. Okay. They're in the bedroom and you're leaving them on their own because either you feel they need the independence or they have taken the independence and kicked you out a while ago. Great. Okay. And you walk in and they're on a screen doing their homework And they have a phone with a group FaceTime happening, which is a, air quotes, study group. They're helping me with the math homework. Right. And maybe there's a third screen somewhere in there or some other draft. The NFL draft is going on. (laughs) Right. Okay. That's a, yes. Let's, let's use that night because there are 12 versions of that. So Mm -hmm. Vanessa asked a version of this question the last time we spoke. But I'm going to re-ask it here in the context of study skills. And they're doing fine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now what? So to Vanessa's point, like they're going to leave and they're going to go either to college or to Mm -hmm. work or both. If they're doing fine and they're managing, does that mean they have the skills they need in place? Or with one or two more years left under your roof, should you be on a mission? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. So I think this is a big both and, right? So there's, first of all, what doing fine means, right? Doing fine can mean they're getting C's in their classes. And maybe that is their their version of like, I'm working hard and I'm very happy with these grades. Or maybe that's a version of like, I'm doing a bare minimum. I could be doing a lot better. So I think we we think about what does that look like? Are they thriving under these circumstances? We also look at what doing fine. Maybe they're getting really good grades, but it is it coming at a cost? Mm-hmm. Are they up then really late at night? Are they constantly sick? Are they scrambling and stressed on the weekends? What does it look like? So when we're talking about doing fine, we're wise to zoom out and look at the whole picture mm-hmm. and not just the grades. So those are two pieces of it to consider. The other thing that we can think about is we do still have a modicum of control when they're in our house. So we can set limits on things like you know, I know you're developing your, and this is much more maybe with like 11th grade, let's say, yeah. where they're further down the road of, of doing it on their own, but they're they're still only, you know, 16 or 17, that you can say, I, I see you figuring this out. While you're still here and this year, it's important to us that you are not watching the draft actually while you're doing the homework or that <laughs> at least one of these when you're studying, like I get that you want to be on this group call when you're doing the math homework. That makes a lot of sense. But when it's time to study that we actually, you know, I want to see you turning that FaceTime off so that you actually can use some of these study strategies that you are learning. I think we we don't want to confuse them finding their own strategies with saying, I have to be completely hands off and offer no feedback, even if I see some strategies taking root that are not going to be all that healthy. Yeah. I mean, last night I went past one of my kids' rooms and I could tell he heard me and I could hear the sound of the phone being put down on his desk. <laughs> And I knocked on the door and I was like, hey, so do you think the phone that's 
next to you should get thrown onto your bed so that you can finish your homework because it's 1030 and you should be in bed. And then and he was like, yep, okay." And I heard the I heard the sound of the phone flying through the air and then (laughs) thump Mm -hmm. on the on the covers. Yeah. So I think it's like humorous suggestions sometimes are more effective than like, come on, dude, you're never going to get into college if you keep doing these, you know, house parties while doing your math homework. But yeah, I got to say in in my house, what the most common scenario is there's clearly a call with 12 people on it. And so when I walk in, there's no time to be like, well, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not on the phone. So instead, everyone gives good parent and they're like, Hi, Cara. Yeah, oh, How totally. Are you? totally. It's so great to see you. And then you you get cut. You're like, oh, they're so sweet. And then you remember, <laughs> you get totally manipulated. Hundred percent. We just we just love history. It's so great. Yep. Tori, you are the best. You are a gift to all caregivers everywhere. Thank you for coming back so quickly. I hope you don't think we're going to take advantage of you like all the time, <laughs> but we just. We couldn't, people were so desperate to hear more from you. So thank you, thank you, thank you from the bottom of our hearts and all of our listeners who are going to just be so thrilled to hear all your advice. Oh, thank you so much. And thank you for inviting me back and prioritizing this conversation. It's always so great to talk with the both of you. Have a great day, everyone. And, (laughs) you know, plan into the weekend. Plan (laughs) well. You got it. I'm already, I'm already planned through next week. Don't worry. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, everybody. Bye, Tori. Bye, thanks. We absolutely love hearing your feedback and getting all your questions. So anytime you want to be in touch, email us at thepubertypodcast at gmail.com. If you're looking for great puberty products like the Oom shorts or the Oom socks or the Oom bra, you get the theme there, go to myoomla.com. If you want more content, you love what we do on the Puberty Podcast, and you want to have us come speak or learn more about our book or subscribe to our amazing newsletter, The Awkward Roller Coaster, go to orderofmagnitude.co. Remember, it's .co because we don't have enough money to buy .com yet. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners or odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.